Today on Contemplate. Some of us need the approval of others to feel good about ourselves. Some of us spend so much time worrying about what others think about us that we do not concern ourselves enough about what God thinks. That was Pastor David Robinson from Axe Church in Camas, Washington, and this is another Contemplate podcast. I'm Ron Hagelgans. Great to have you along today as we're asking the question, who is Jesus? And in part three of this series, Pastor David will bring us the story of two familiar people in the Bible and their encounters with Jesus. And isn't it amazing to think that he wants to have an encounter with each of us today, too? I'm so thankful. Another great lesson is on the way. And here's Pastor David Robinson with today's edition of Contemplate, recorded live at Axe Church. She probably remembered being just a little girl in a Jewish town, seeing the important men of the city walk by on the dusty streets, men like Simon, the man into whose home she had just walked uninvited. Maybe people whispered as she was growing up, as she sort of learned the ladder of society as men like Simon had walked by and they say things like, hey, that's Simon. He's a Pharisee. See how he wears his clothes so special? And, and you can tell that he, that he thinks that he's very important, very special. He does all the things in our law, or at least he says he does. He keeps all the rules, and he only hangs out with and spends time with the highest kinds of people. But as she grew up, this young woman, she heard a different kind of whispering. Like Simon the Pharisee, she had become very well known. In fact, even Simon the Pharisee had come to know who she was, but she had become well known for something different entirely. This woman had made a name for herself on another side of things, where men like Simon and these Pharisees and these leaders had lifted themselves up based on how much of the law they knew and how much they followed the law and how they kept it and how they were not sinners, this woman was known specifically for being a sinner. She was known as a sinner. She may have been selling her body to men for money. She may have just been promiscuous. We don't know exactly what the sins are that she was committing, but whatever they were, they were enough for her to have a serious reputation for being a sinner. This is not what she had planned to be, most likely. Growing up as a little girl in this Jewish culture, she didn't want to be known for what she was now known for. I mean, they already had one strike against them, these Galileans, right? They, they lived in a place, they had kind of a, a different accent. So even among the Jewish people, those who lived in Judea and in Jerusalem already sort of made fun of them, said they were uneducated, right? Sort of backwards. So she already has that on top of that, on top of being from a Galilean town, she's got all the sin that she's committed on top of her so that the whispers and the gossip follow her wherever she goes. And the sins that she has aren't the kind that stay hidden like so many of the sins of other people. These were out there. And so the whispers continued and always 
happened. People looked down on her. People rejected her. But here she was on this day with just a seed of hope that something might change. She's about to do something unthinkable. But let's leave her there for a second and look at another man. He was a Jew also, and he had become very wealthy in the city of Jericho. He was a rich man. The problem was that he was hated by all of his people. He was despised. He was rejected. In their minds, in the minds of his brothers and sisters, his Jewish friends and family, he was a betrayer. He had betrayed them. See, he was collecting taxes for the Roman government. And I just want you to imagine that someone comes in to Camus, and it's Red Dawn, right? They come in, the Russians, whoever, uh, you know, they attack. I don't remember who was in the movie. I think it was the Russians. But they come in, they take over. Now imagine those who lived here deciding that because they wanted to make some money, they would collect taxes from, from their own people, from us, for this conquering force. That's what Zacchaeus had done. That's what this man had done. He was, he was a tax collector. He had betrayed his people. And not only did he do that, but these guys were also known not just for collecting the normal amount of tax, but for being extortioners, for taking more than was owed. And if you didn't want to pay him, he'd go tell on you to the Roman army and they'd come and make you pay him. And so here he is getting rich by serving the invader and stealing from his own people. You might be able to guess what kind of a reputation he had. This is what he was. He was held in the same esteem as the woman we were just talking about, which is to say, no esteem. No esteem. He was rich. He had lots of money. But he was shunned and he was disliked. And on top of that, he was very short, which had its own set of social issues, I'm sure. But like this woman... He was daring to hope just a little bit today. He had heard that someone different was coming to town. Now we'll come back to these two. I want to kind of get into some stuff. You know this, this uh, series is on who is Jesus. And we got to figure out who is Jesus. And part of the way we figure out who is Jesus by, is by figuring out why he came. Why did he come? What was he here for? I remember junior high and high school somewhat. It was a long time ago. But I remember the whispering and the gossip. It was very easy for people to get a bad reputation. It was very hard for them to earn a good one back. For those of you who homeschool, I know we have some of those in the church. You, I'm not sure how that works out for you. But for those of you who went to public school or went to a large school, you can relate. Everything is stratified into these groups sort of related to coolness, right? If you have the right clothes and say the right things and date the right person and play the right sport, you might be in the cool crowd. And if you don't do all of those things or some of those things, you might not. And it, and it didn't end there in life. Some of the intensity of social awkwardness may have gone away at the end of high school, but it was really just traded for something else. We start into adulthood sort of trying to make our way, and we're constantly navigating the pressure of relationships. And we, we often fall into it without even realizing it. We don't realize how tense we are. For instance, if I told you everybody in this room, completely relax, just relax. Whatever 
you're thinking about, just relax completely. Whatever you do, don't think about any other person in this room. The fact is, is that you might be able to do that, but for most people, I think that they can't. They can't completely forget about the other people because they feel like people are looking at them, like they're judging them based on a hundred different things. Not just, are you a very bad person? Are they a good person? But do they look the right way? Are you wearing the right clothes? Are you acting the right way? Whatever it is, we sort of uh, walk around concerned about what other people think about us and trying to measure up to some kind of standard. We look for the approval of other people. If you don't believe me, go look at your Facebook feed. Some of us need the approval of others to feel good about ourselves. Some of us spend so much time worrying about what others think about us that we do not concern ourselves enough about what God thinks. But the woman and the man in our stories, my guess is they were past all of that. In some ways, maybe more mature. Because they actually weren't spending their time worrying about what other people thought about them. They knew what people thought. There was no question about what people thought. And they knew that there was little that they could do about it now. For both of them, they were outcasts. They were outcasts. They were outsiders. They were sinners. The worst of sinners. That was the label that they carried around everywhere they went, everywhere they walked throughout their day. Think about Everything you do, you go to the store, you go, you go run errands, you do whatever, and all the people that you walk by, they all know who you are, and none of them think it's a good thing. And then every stare and every sneer all day long, they felt the sneers, they felt the rejection, they felt like trash. And so they weren't worried about what other people thought about them. That ship had sailed. In this day for each of them, their lives were going to be different. This woman, with her bad reputation, she had heard of Jesus. And she had probably heard that he had said a couple things lately, actually, right before in Scripture where we hear the history of this woman that we're talking about. Jesus said something interesting. He said this, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they said, Look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by her children. Who is Jesus, she's thinking? Who is this man that's willing to be friends with tax collectors and sinners? Is this possible? Because everyone's saying that he's a prophet. He's clearly sent by God. We can see that. He's showing the power of God. He's healing the blind. He's healing the lame and the lepers, right? He's, he's caring about and teaching the poor and women. And he seems to care about them. But important men of God didn't act like that in her experience. That's not what they acted like. They weren't hanging out with the poor and with the tax collectors and with the sinners and with the drunks. That's not what they were doing. They weren't into these people, the people who were broken. They were into the people who could do something for them, who could make them feel powerful. They were into being around people where they could sit together and look down on all these other people. So a religious person... A man of God, to her, was not someone who would ever have been called a friend of tax collectors and sinners. That would never be the case. But Jesus, he tells us a story of a Pharisee and a tax collector. If you want to get an idea for what some of the Pharisees might have been like, this is in Luke 18, 9 through 12. It says, also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and despised others. 
Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. This Pharisee is sitting here comparing his life to the lives of others. And not only that, this guy, he's praying out loud, right? That he's like, that guy standing over there, that's what's going on in this, in this moment. you got to imagine, that's how just incredibly blind these Pharisees were to their own problems. That they were willing to pray like that. Comparing themselves. I'm better, I'm cleaner, I'm more special. And that's what this woman would have expected from the men who were religious leaders. But maybe, maybe she thought this. Maybe she thought, after hearing this thing, these things that Jesus had done, and said, so maybe she thought, this Jesus is not like the important men of the city, right? He's different. Maybe he could heal me from my sin. While all of these others look down on me, they know my reputation. Maybe Jesus will be different. Maybe God, maybe there's hope that God does love me. Now, Jesus had been invited into the home of a guy named Simon, a Pharisee, there in the town, to eat dinner. And the way it worked during these feasts, it's interesting, these homes, they would have had this feast, and the home actually would have possibly been opened so that people who were uninvited could actually go through, kind of go through the courtyard of the guest chamber and, and sort of watch these people eat. I don't know if it's kind of like podcast first century. You know, you're hearing the sort of the people having these, you know, Jesus and these Pharisees having these conversations, that type of thing. But they could sit there, they could go, and they could see, actually walk into the house. And it was a normal thing that uninvited guests could walk into the house and sort of watch what they're doing. And so, this woman, who I promise you, Simon had not invited, this is what she does. She plucks up her courage and she goes in. I want you to imagine what that would be like. I already told you who she was. I already told you what people said about her. She probably doesn't usually want to put her face up. And yet she's heard that the, possibly the Messiah, this prophet, this man of God is in here. And this Pharisee who's from this town and all these people who are from this town who know exactly who she is, who know exactly what she's done, everything about it. She's got to pluck up the courage to walk into this house and walk over to this place. I, I mean, I can't imagine the sweat and the anxiety as she hopes against hope that Jesus really is going to be different. And Jesus would have been reclining at the table. So they kind of, they kind of lean on their left elbow, and they sit, and, they, and their feet are back behind them. You remember in the Last Supper, it talks about John kind of leaning into Jesus' bosom. That's because that's the way they sat. One guy's like this, the next guy's like this. So if you wanted to say something kind of secret, you'd sort of lean over to where their chest was and say something. That's how they were sitting. At these feasts, they would recline at the table, and that's what Jesus was doing. And behind him were his unwashed feet. And this is what Luke says as he, as the Holy Spirit through him brings us the narrative. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster, fl alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with a the fragrant oil. She gets in the company of Jesus. And something about him, something about the things he said, she just starts crying. 
I mean, imagine the release. I told you, she's probably incredibly anxious and scared and sweaty, and she walks in here, and she gets to Jesus. No one has tackled her, thrown her out of the room, anything like this. She gets to Jesus, and she just starts crying. And, and the tears uh, uh, that are coming out of her eyes, she starts to wash Jesus' feet, and she's putting this fragrant oil, and she's taking her hair, and she's drying his feet, wiping his feet with her hair. And he does not immediately stop her. This sinner, this reject, this outcast, this person who's been told that she is trash, is in the home of this prominent man and washing the feet of Jesus, and he does not immediately kick her out. But let's go back to our tax collector in Jericho. He also hears Jesus is coming to town, and he wants to see Jesus. Maybe he's heard about the way that Jesus treats tax collectors, sinners, and outcasts like himself. I mean, what does he have to lose? This guy is despised. Despised. So, either way, he was going to go see Jesus. This is what the narrative says. Holy Spirit through Luke again, 19, 1 through 6. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold... There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. What? This reject, this outcast, all he wants to do is just get a glimpse of this guy he's heard about. His, his humility, he's got to climb a tree. You know those dresses they were wearing? That couldn't have been easy, right? You're trying to get up on it. I mean, I, I wouldn't try to climb a tree, period, at this point. But he's climbing a tree because he doesn't, he's throwing all of his pride and his arrogance and whatever. He's throwing that away. Remember, he probably doesn't have it because everybody thinks that he's ridiculous. So he thinks of himself as worthless, but he just wants to at least get a look at Jesus. And so as he humbles himself enough to climb up a tree just so he can see him, and Jesus walks by, and bam, eye contact. He looks right at him. And I'm sure for Zacchaeus, the world stops. And, I, and I'm wondering if he, when he sees the eyes, if he immediately knew it was going to be good. Or if he wondered if it might be just the opposite. These prophets were, after all, known to sort of bring down judgment, right? And certainly if anyone deserved judgment, it was this guy who everyone considered a traitor. But that's not what Jesus says. The next thing he does is he says, Zacchaeus. He knows his name. I can't imagine what that's going to feel like for those of us who know Christ the first time we hear his voice say our name. But Zacchaeus hears it here, and he says, get down here. I'm going to your house. I'm going to go to your house today. This tax collector, this man who they treated as a traitor. I mean, the religious leaders in Jericho, probably I don't know that they would walk by Zacchaeus' house, but they sure wouldn't dare to go in. They would have considered him unclean. But Jesus did. This wasn't the end of either of these stories, by the way, because there were other people there besides just Jesus and this person. Jesus and the woman or Jesus and this tax collector, Zacchaeus. There were other people. So let's see how the Pharisee reacts to this woman. 
in our first story. Luke 7, 39-50. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, saw this woman coming and washing his feet with her tears, he spoke to himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. What's the assumption that this Pharisee is making? Listen, if you're a prophet, A, first thing, you're going to know who this is. You will know because you're a prophet because God would tell you. Second, you'd know what kind of a woman this is. Filthy, dirty, sinner. And the assumption that he has is that if, if Jesus is a prophet, that he wouldn't let this woman touch him, that he wouldn't be near her because he had become so wrapped up in this ladder system that these guys had come up with, with the best seats at the tables, with the only people that were good are the people who kept the law, quote-unquote. And this sinner is trash to him. And so the idea that a prophet, a man of God, would let this sinner come and touch him, he doesn't believe it. He says, Jesus must not be a prophet. That's the logic. Because if he was a prophet, he wouldn't do this. Well, Jesus, of course, knows, as he always does, our hearts and the things we're thinking. And so he has a conversation and Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Uh-oh. So he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Can you imagine the weight that lifted off of this woman when Jesus, the Son of God, God in flesh looks at her and says, your sins are forgiven. When he looks at her and says, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Because these debtors that he's talking about, this, this is us, right? Not only do we have a debt from the sin that we've, that we've done, but we, like the people in the parable, have nothing with which to repay it. We can't come up with anything that could ever make us right. And I don't care if you think you owe $5 or you know that you owe $5 billion. I can tell you which side I'm on. It's not the $5 side. You have nothing with which to repay it. This woman knows that. She's got nothing to lose. She's humbled herself. She's coming here. She's washing his feet. She's crying. Jesus says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Peace. He brings that to her. He heals her from her sin. And Jesus asks a question. Simon has to answer. And it is a great question. Who loves more, the one who has been forgiven a lot or the one who's been forgiven a little? Simon is probably like the Pharisee in the parable Jesus 
told us that we read earlier, who thanks God that he's not like other people, like this loser over here, who thinks that he's better, who thinks that he doesn't have a big need for forgiveness because he's so busy looking at this woman and judging her, thinking that he's better than her, cleaner than her, more righteous than her, that he doesn't need Jesus, that he doesn't need forgiveness. But this woman knows exactly who she is. There's no confusion. She knows her own sinfulness. She's not hiding it. She's not confused about it. She's simply seeking the healing of grace and forgiveness from God. And she has sought out Jesus, who is God. And he forgives her sins, which prompts the question of this series from the people sitting at the table. Who is this? Who is Jesus? That was Pastor David Robinson with part three in our Contemplate podcast series, Who is Jesus? Have you ever felt like either of these two people? I think we all have, and maybe you do right now. The good news is that the same Jesus that set those people free wants to do the very same thing for you, and all you've got to do is ask. Now, if you still got questions or are not sure what to do next, let me invite you to join us at Axe Church this Sunday morning. There's a great big family of folks here that would love nothing more than to help you meet Jesus. Get directions and all the info you need online anytime at axcamus.org. Again, that's axcamus, camus with a C, axcamus.org. Or call us at 360-885-9000. That's 360-885-9000. I'm Ron Hagel again. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll invite your friends to listen too. Now, in our next podcast, Pastor David will continue to help us answer the question, Who is Jesus? And you won't want to miss it. That's right here on Contemplate. Contemplate.